Welcome back to the nationally syndicated Price of Business Show. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Always love my series. It's an ongoing series I've been doing with the folks over there at the uh, Washington Post. We've been doing it for about a year. Uh, Jacob Bogay, she's been on the program before. And uh, Jacob, glad to have you back. Uh, I know your your beat, if you will, includes business and technology, and uh, you, know, you you bring some great content. I just got a chance uh, yesterday to read your uh, story that we're going to be focusing on today, which is is excellent about the New York nurses uh, end strike after reaching tentative deals with the hospitals. Actually, when we're talking about is that they were still in strike. Uh, this justice happened. So we get to take advantage of you for a breaking story. This is literally breaking. On the screen in front of me, the the uh, nurses union in New York is, is running a press conference going through details of uh, the agreement that they reached. And frankly, we're not getting a whole lot of information, but uh, it's more than we we had even moments ago. Yeah, I love that. That's exciting. Um, Talk a little bit about what the uh, primary objectives of the strike were. Can can, kind of give us the logistics, the the 411, the length of the strike, the objectives of the strikers, uh, those type of things. Sure. So hospitals around New York that have unionized workforces, their contracts tend to expire at around the same time. And so really through the entire month of December, the entire private healthcare system in New York was on edge. Uh, were these hospitals going to be able to reach a deal with the New York State Nurses Association, which was bargaining very hard for not just increased compensation, but crucially increased staffing. That became the major sticking point in negotiations. They wanted commitments from the hospital systems to hire more nurses, to fill vacancies, and to enforce strict ratios between nurses and patients. Uh, Think about through the whole pandemic, right? I mean, we've talked about nurses and doctors as healthcare heroes, but there is a nursing shortage in this country. We talk about it kind of every day, and then we don't do anything about it. Um, this is really where the rubber met the road on that. And so, you know, nurses generally give about two weeks or ten days' notice before going on strike, and that's what happened here. And normally, that's kind of a pretty pro forma kind of saber rattling thing. In this case, it came to pass. That strike started on Monday. It ended at 3 o'clock in the morning, uh, today, Thursday. Uh, and now nurses, 7,000 nurses from two major hospital systems in New York are back to work today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's good news. And by the way, I remember better now. Uh, you know, I do a lot of interviews. <laughs> so uh, we had a very interesting conversation about, uh, you know, the, the, even the impact of immigration laws uh, has on, on nurses, if I recall correctly. You know, and we talked about how even countries like Philippines, the Philippines have one of their biggest exports, are nurses. And, you know, and how, how would that hurt the economy to have people with those kind of credentials coming in to, uh, to work in this country? The, those type of things. And so this problem in New York, it's really just a microcosm of, of, a, of a nationwide problem, isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's definitely a microcosm, of, uh, a microcosm of a nationwide problem. By one measurement, between 2020 and 2021, 100,000 nurses left the profession in this country. 
in that same time span, nursing schools around the country turned down 90,000 applications, not because students were unqualified, but because they didn't have the capacity to teach them. They just didn't have, you know, enough teachers. There's, I mean, it's, it's that kind of uh, shortage that we're experiencing across so many phases of the the healthcare spectrum. And uh, the pandemic only made things worse. I mean, I, I, you know, I have, I have doctors in my family and I have, I have, uh, you know, nurses who, who were friends or folks I went to school with or college with. And, and I feel like I see or I hear from folks every single day about someone else leaving the profession or someone leaving a hospital to go be a travel nurse or go be a private nurse where there's a little bit more stability. Um, you know, this is uh, an entire industry kind of grappling with the quality of life outside of work that it wants to offer to its employees, but also what working standards really look like. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's really an interesting dilemma. And so we've, we've, we've got a, a solution here. What did that look like? And I use almost air quotes with, with solutions because I know with, with how dire it is with what you've described, um, you know, it, it's not a panacea, but it is progress. Kind of tell us what that looks like. Sure. So we're, kind of, we're looking at three prongs here. One of them is compensation, which is the easiest to hammer out at a bargaining table. These nurses in New York are going to get 19% raises over three years. That is a chunk of change. If my editor is listening, I would like a 19% raise. Um, <laughs> you can face over three years. That's fine with me. Um, yeah. The, the second is staffing. Um, and both hospitals, in this case, it's Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan, Montefiore Hospital. It's a, it's a system in the, in, uh, the Bronx have agreed to hire more nurses, not to create more nursing positions, but to actually hire nurses into those positions. And that's going to improve uh, nurse to patient ratio. So Montefiore, for example, in the, uh, in the ICUs, you're looking at a one nurse to two patient ratio in um, critical care, one to five in non-critical one to eight. These are major improvements. The third, uh, the third leg of this was the biggest sticking point, and and that's where why we have the strike in days of just fruitless negotiation. Is that the the union wanted some sort of enforcement system in California in 2019? The state legislature passed a law mandating certain nurse to patient ratios, and if Hospitals understaffed and violated those ratios. They could be fined up to $30,000 a day. That is the gold standard for nurses in this country in terms of securing the staffing that they want. And now we're seeing this nationwide. As nursing union contracts expire and they go back to the bargaining table, they're trying to encode that same language into their collective bargaining agreement. So that was the third leg of this. We know that there is some enforcement mechanism. Uh, in theory, that is hospitals paying penalties to nurses that had to work under resource shifts. 
we don't know how strong that enforcement mechanism is. And those are answers we've been trying to get out of the New York State Nurses Association and both of these hospitals. And we just don't have the answers to that yet. Mm-hmm. Talk about, you know, and, that, and that's, uh, you know, when I think about this again, the show, we're all over the country. Washington Post is a national newspaper in spite of, the, of its name. I, I understand that. But, you know, I think about how interesting the problems are all over the place, and there's a unique element. I think about Texas, which uh, we're out of the Houston market, uh, but syndicated coast to coast. Um, you know, I think about Texas and, and rural Texas and how difficult it is for them to get health care in general, and, and uh, there is ver- very little autonomy for nurse practitioners in uh, Texas. You know, it, it seems to me, uh, you know, whereas every state's different, right? I think about 38 mm-hmm. give a lot of autonomy to nurse practitioners, and, and the other, you know, 12 do not. And Houston, uh, Texas is one of those 12. You know, this problem isn't a state-alone problem. It is a federal problem. And our federal, federal system is designed to do things from the bottom up. I get that. But uh, these issues are really systemic, and they have uniformity, uh, I think, in many respects nationwide. They are, and I think part of kind of what makes this a federal issue is that, you know, nursing skills, you can take that anywhere, right? I mean, if you're a nurse in New York, you can still be a nurse in Texas. You know how to do the job. You might have to be, you know, do some certifications or whatever, but you can get up and move if you want to. Your work is portable, and not everybody in this country has that kind of portable work. In the nursing profession in particular, we've seen a lot of migration to more hospitable working environments state by state. There are tools that are available to hospital systems and through the federal government to entice more people into the profession. You know, that includes some sort of tax-free reimbursement on student loans um, or, 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 you know, scholarships um, because when when folks get out of college getting nursing degrees especially advanced nursing degrees there those are expensive um, and the wages that, that these folks make are not the same as a doctor or a surgeon makes and so it takes a little bit longer to pay those off um, I, I think Kevin you raise a great point that this is a national issue and state by state you know states do what's right f- for them but we're really talking about a national healthcare system that is built on the backs of nurses and, and these people who are offering the primary line of care when folks come into a doctor's office or into a hospital or emergency room. Yeah, and it's becoming more and more on the back of nurses when you look at the demographics of this country, the aging population of this country, the the concern about finances and expense and how many people are underserved and undertreated because of the money dynamic. All of that points to the needs of nurses, it really being nurse-centered, not doctor-centered, but you, nurse-centered. Yeah. And you mentioned rural Texas, and part of the reason why nurses don't have the same autonomy in, in parts of Texas is because sometimes you don't have doctors out in rural areas. You have nurses out in rural areas. And if they need a doctor, they get them on the phone or they get them on a video conference or they send you down the road to the nearest town that has the hospital. I mean, you know, this is a, I've spent a lot of time in my, in my life in, in rural Missouri. And, you know, a lot of the clinics there are run by registered nurses or nurse practitioners. And if you need to go see a doctor, 
you get in the car and you book it down the highway so you get to the next town while you're suffering. Um, yeah, this is this is the root of the issue, and our healthcare system in the United States, as you said, is becoming more nurse centric and less doctor centric. It really has to be. That's pragmatic. It's not bad. That's just reality, in my opinion. I have uh, Dr. Bob Arnott, uh, from, formerly from CBS and NBC, uh, medical director for them. Uh, he's a regular on my show, and we were talking about this. You know, and basically, it's this old-fashioned competition between doctors and nurses, with doctors threatened by the rise of nurses. And you know, to me, it, it's like. At least they could say if a, if a city has a population, they, the, state, the Texas legislature has a population of less than 100,000, uh, a nurse should be able to have autonomy like they can have in other states, uh, like in most states, you know, in order to give them an, even an incentive to move there. Because now here, nurses are directly under a doctor, which impacts their pay. The nurse practitioners directly under a doctor for all things. That makes zero sense. That's pure protectionism for doctors. Yeah, I think one of the important distinctions here is who is uh, trained to make uh, diagnoses, uh, but who also has the legal authority to do that? Who's trained to prescribe medication? Who has the legal authority to do that? Who's trained to dispense medication? Who has the authority to do that? These are kind of the the major questions um, that communities are going to have to grapple with. And I think when we look at what's going on in New York, that, you know, that tells us exactly um, kind of where we are uh, in, in this industry in terms of uh, the power that, that nurses wield or doctors wield. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep, it's an interesting conversation. I say uh, uh, we need more expansion in this space. It's, it's demographically, it's just the need is overwhelming. Jacob, always glad to talk to you. Jacob Bogage, I really appreciate it. Final thoughts, and I do want to mention Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com, one of my favorite uh, publications. I read it religious, religiously. One of the very few, I put down a single handful, literally a handful of publications that are true newspapers of record uh, that have the breadth and depth of content that I think readers need. And so I spend time with the Post every single day. Uh, but, Jacob, final thoughts from you. Yeah, I think we're looking to get more detail about what this enforcement mechanism looks like, and I expect that to set the tone as we go into 2023 with, you know, the labor market where it is, we're at the lowest unemployment in the last 50 years at least. Um, this is going to set a tone not just for nurses but across the healthcare space in the kinds of concessions that workers can win from management when they sit down at the bargaining table. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Good way to wrap it up. Jacob, appreciate you. Uh, love the work of the Washington Post, Washington Post. Dot com. I am Kevin Price, and this is the nationally syndicated Price of Business show. More for you after this.